Hey there, and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. We are two die-hard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. Real, family-friendly, and positive. Get involved. So, we're in a really weird place. Super Rugby has officially been cancelled. More updates on that later. Uh, and... It's been suspended. I would well, say sorry. it's cancelled. You know what? Suspended, although I have my suspicions. Yep. But we're not giving up. And we're going to continue and start off this episode with a review of the Australian Conference Games from the weekend. Before we head in and start delving deep into all the spicy news that's been happening from the last week, mostly coronavirus related. And we're also then going to theorise about what happens now. What are the different options available to rugby? Um, And this is going to be from a place of idealism, knowing that nobody can really actually... No one really knows where we're going with this. But we'll just kind of daydream and brainstorm just for a bit of fun. So, want to make this really clear, we are not giving up. We are three episodes in. How do you feel about that, Mitch? I am excited. Yeah, three episodes. Woo! It's pretty awesome. By the way, I'm Ando. I didn't say that before. But hi. And we are really excited about the fact we're up to three episodes, but it's also a bit of a challenge considering Super Rugby is now suspended. So we are not giving up. We are going to have future episodes about maybe the Wallabies, kind of getting some different opinions from different parts of the game. We have ideas for the next kind of three or four episodes moving forward. So don't worry. There's still going to be pick and drive rugby coming into your sweet, sweet ears. So don't worry. Yeah, we'll be around for a few more weeks. Uh, Lots to talk about and um, lots of news to come out of it. Well, wonderful. Why don't we jump straight on into it then with our review of the Aussie games. Let's get into it. The first Australian Conference game of the weekend was played on Saturday afternoon. It was actually a double header. So the Sunwolves versus the Crusaders were playing at Suncourt Stadium with the Reds versus the Bulls playing afterwards. Now, the Sunwolves came out 14 and the Crusaders won the day with 49, so a heavy victory. Now, I've seen snippets of the game, but Mitch, you caught most of it. Yeah, I Why caught the I second throw half. Throw it over to you then. All right, so uh, first of our Aussie games for the week. Interesting in that it was a doubleheader. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw this last week down in Wollongong. So it's um, it's been weird to kind of see the home games of the Sunwolves being played in Australia. I feel really sorry for them. Like, they've been gallant, but at the same time, how do you expect them to perform well when they're basically in isolation in Australia? Yeah, that's true. But at the same time, there was a lot of support for them in this game. Yeah, okay. I um, I noticed whilst watching this game that there was there was potentially more people in the crowd for the early game than there was for the Reds game, which oh, I really? noticed. Yeah, it was really weird. Okay. And there was lots of players, oh, fans and spectators in Sunwolves jersey. Okay. Jerseys as well. And... um. It's really cool how they bring the Awu over. <laughs> yeah. So it's still yeah. a Sunwolves game and they're still playing at home. But um, on to the results. I don't think anyone was really surprised with the scoreline, 14-49. Um, story of the season so far, really, with this one. Um, Crusaders just too good and Sunwolves falling away quite badly in the second half. I mean, it seems to be the thing that the Sunwolves have managed to do is they'll stay in touch for the first half and then often just get blown out of the park yeah. in the second. Kind of sounds like the Waratahs. Yeah, really. it does a bit. But <laughs> um, let's not bring all things back to the Waratahs. Um, now, the Crusaders, they made something like nine changes to their starting They did, team. yeah. And this was a so, fairly inexperienced side as far as Crusaders' team goes. It shows their, exp- their confidence... And how they kind of back the 
quality of the new players, yeah. but then the quality of their systems as That's well right. to kind of get them to victory. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot... Going through the team list before the game, there was a lot of players who I, was, I had never heard of before. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you said, it's a testament to their system that they all came out and they performed really well. Yep. Um, Except there was, for... Yeah, that was what I was about to go for. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, poor, poor. our old Waratahs hooker from a few years ago and then went down to Melbourne, Hugh Roach, mm-hmm. has been signed by the Canterburyans. Which was an interesting choice on their part. He's been playing uh, in a Mitre 10, I think, of the call-up. Is that how we got yeah, there? I, yeah. I didn't see he's too much Mitre 10 rugby. this week I how we got there. specific team, but yeah. Yeah, last we saw him was down in Melbourne, and he's been signed up by them. So yeah. this was his debut for the Crusaders. Mm-hmm. He came on with about 20 minutes, 15 minutes left in the game. I think he was on the field for about three minutes, and he copped a red card. And what did he do? He elbowed a guy? Yeah, he lashed out. He lashed out, and he's uh, copped... He elbowed I can't remember the opposite prop in the back of the head so just silly basic stuff like it it was unwarranted it was off the ball it 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 hurt so the Crusaders also got a yellow card during that time as well and they they did 10 for the last 10 minutes they had 13 men on the field yeah then what happened they let the Sun will still let in two tries. How ridiculous! I know. So the last last ten minutes of the game, the Crusaders played with thirteen men, mm-hmm. um, and I think they probably had eighty percent of the possession in that ten minutes, and yep. they scored two tries. Wow. So it's just it is what it is for the Sun Wolves. I think. Why don't we? Why don't we just move away from that game for the moment? Yeah, because really, there's not much to say about that specifically. That's right. But what? we could have actually witnessed on the weekend is potentially the last game that the Sunwolves ever Yeah. Because they are not going to be a part of the competition next year. Mm. The um, Japanese rugby has withdrawn their funding and support for the Sunwolves because the J League, or the top league, is um, largely made up of corporate teams that are based around also strong university connections too. And they just didn't really support the endeavour into Super Rugby, and so you. It really a is a shame, unfortunately. It's a shame. Why? Why do you think it's particularly? Well, I mean, expansion for rugby is what we're all about, and this was such an untapped market that we like the time zone is an hour or two behind us in, mm-hmm. in Australia and New Zealand. We saw from the World Cup that how well the the rugby public in Japan got behind the game. Mm. And they're getting good crowds as well. So it just it doesn't make sense really that the Japanese rugby union isn't putting any money into this team. Mm. Maybe we'll need to spend some more time researching and talking about that in the future yeah. because part of the uh, I'm sure I'm not sure if you've kept on top of the machinations around the Six Nations, but the idea that potentially South Africa might be yep. moving into or trying to muscle their way into yeah, move the Six up Nations north. competition. Yeah. Now it makes sense from a time zone point of view. The majority of their players play in European rugby competitions yeah. anyway. Um, then we need to kind of ask the question of well, if South Africa goes up north and it becomes seven nations or something like that yeah. then what happens to the rugby championship and what That's happens right. to super yeah. rugby yeah. well realistically we're going to be looking at getting japan involved in some type of international competition uh then why would we be kicking them out or letting them leave yeah at this point when there is that future expansion into japan That's which right. is likely going to need to take place so why don't we now that we i mean realistically the sun got pumped we knew it was going to happen. It, it was going to happen. with a pretty inexperienced Crusaders team. Yep. I think it raises just a fair bit of sadness about the situation the Sunwolves find themselves in. 
you can't really blame them. If they'd been playing at home, they're a different team playing in front of their um, Japanese crowd. Yeah. They have incredible support when they're playing at home. Yeah, they do. So, why don't we move on there and maybe we'll come back and touch on the plight of the Sun Wolves or the Moon Doggies, as other people call them. The Moon Dogs. Uh, oh. Dogs. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so let's finish that one there. So the second game of the round for the Australian Conference was played again in Brisbane on Saturday evening um, where we saw the Reds hosted the Bulls. Now, this one was a game of two halves, really, with <laughs> the uh, Bulls running out to a pretty handy lead in the first 20 minutes and then the Reds just taking it from there. Final score for this one was Reds 41, 41 to the Bulls 17. One of the things I really noticed was... You know what? I was a bit scared watching the game. Because coming into it, the Reds had had a season... They were one of the best attacking sides statistically yeah. in Super Rugby. Yep. And yet they'd won one game. That's right. But they've so, been close. Oh, yeah. But that doesn't give you points. I mean, oh, they've they got bonus some bonus point. points. But realistically, you want the win. Yeah. Because, obviously, you get more points. That's it. And it was just really, really worrying sitting there watching the game for 17 minutes. And they had a, they had a point a minute. The Bulls yep. in the first 17 minutes of the game. And you just looked like I, I couldn't understand how the Reds were going to cope with the pace out wide. Yeah. They were just getting carved up every time the Bulls went wide. They do this little pass out the back to the um, fullback, just running along in an angle, straighten up, sprint into the line, and then get a really nice offload away. And freaking Speckman would just. How good through. was Speckman in He's that first incredible. 15? Yeah. He's, he's just he's also just made the transition across to 15s from from sevens, sevens yeah. um and he's doing really good things for them. He's he's rapid. But in when he gets the ball. Yeah. He doesn't do much aside from that. That's right. But I mean, look, really anyone would want him in their team. He's an incredible striker. He's a great finisher yeah. as well. And the speed that he's got off the mark. Yeah. He's incredible. And he also goes looking for the ball as well. When that first 15 20 minutes he was he was looking all over the place for that ball. A really fun stat from the first part of the game, if we just focus on the early section, is that in a 24th minute, the Reds had 24% of possession for the game. Yep. So that just shows you how much the Bulls dominated the early exchanges. Yeah. And in a way, the Reds did okay to hold on for the rest of the half. I mean, they actually came back really, really well and scored two tries to yeah. come back. So they're only down 14-17 at the break, yeah. which realistically is a wonderful turnaround. Yeah. Um, what do you think changed for them? Any idea? They wanted this win, I think. Mm-hmm. They were hungry. So the intangible, they were hungry for it. Yeah, they were hungry yeah. for it. Yeah. Um, they had a game plan to wear them out. Listening to um, to Wright talk after the game, he was saying that their game plan was that they knew these guys, the Bulls were going to be tired coming mm-hmm. into after a long flight from South Africa. Um, they knew they were going to be tired. So if they could hang with them for the first half, they knew that their their fitness and to back their their skills and their their pace was going to get them over the line, which it really did. Do you remember that um that try saving tackle that Wright pulled off on Speckman in about the twenty fifth or something yeah. like that minute, where Speckman's basically one on one on a line with was it Isaac Lucas? Uh, yeah, I think yeah, so. it was somebody. Um, it was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Isaac Lucas because uh, I get the mix yeah, up anyway. with Tate McDermott all yeah. the time, but he didn't start. Um, and Lucas just kind of held him up and then Wright comes across, ball and all tackle and like 
spin Speckman to the ground yeah. about a metre away from the try line. Yeah. A massive captain's tackle, just that, that intangible quality if they wanted it, That's was it. just evident right there. And mm. that was, I think, a massive turning point. Because if the Bulls score there, it's 22 plus a conversion to come yeah. to nil. Yeah. And that is a huge moment where the Reds can basically say, hey, we stood up. And the, that was the moment from where the Reds seemed to kind of start getting more control over the game. Yeah, well, they're the moments that you see as a player where the, the game starts to slip away from you. Mm. Um, and that really shows the difference between a good side and a, and a young side is that these guys hung in there and backed themselves and got themselves out of the hole that they were in. Yeah. And, yeah. Like, remarkably. But... So you look at the stats from the first half. Um, I know we were kind of joking before when we were saying oh yeah it's a game of two hearts because every <laughs> sports person says that in any game anywhere but realistically the reds had 41 percent possession to the bulls 59 percent in the first half and then 36 percent territory to 64 percent territory to the bulls so in the two major major indicators of dominance within basic aspects of play the Bulls were heavily on top and then the Reds went into the sheds 14-17 yeah pretty impressive really impressive so then obviously they came out in the second half um, that was really fun to watch that was a this Red side are very, really exciting to watch they're playing some really good football uh, the the space that their wingers are finding and the um, the handling like the offloads their offload game is phenomenal mm they um when was that try was it the 39th minute so right before the yeah 38 minutes i've got here 38 yep so basically it had it was nearly a full length of the field try across a few phases where you just had an awesome breakout wide and then that was quickly followed up by a swift recycle then with wilson the number eight running onto it really hard getting an offload to hawkins then getting an offload to spate no, it wasn't Spate. Was it Malula who then got an offload to Isaac Lucas? Yes. Yeah, it was a number nine Malula. Yeah. Um, so it just went like three or four offloads in a row, yeah. following up some incredibly awesome play out wide with quick recycling. And the Bulls just couldn't cope with the pace, much like the Reds could in early stages. But what the Bulls were doing was speed and pace and incisiveness out wide, whereas the Reds were just using forward dominance combined with a quality offloading mm. game to really just get them through, yeah. through the Bulls. Yeah. And the Bulls were falling off tackles a lot. Um, I think the speed of the game was really the t- determining factor for the Bulls that just they, they weren't up for for holding on, really. Um, they're, yeah, they're, they just went to pieces. One of the things that really excited me about that game was the growing maturity that the Reds showed. Yeah. To be down 17-0 and to then come back and score 41 unanswered points. I mean, that's that would be in a regular season, like a championship-winning side demonstrating that type of resolve and that nerve to come back from such a deficit. Yeah. And what's in- incredibly disappointing about the enforced break that we're having now mm. is that the Reds can't roll on from here. Yeah, that's right. The A team like the Reds now need to keep playing mm. because they're just sort of... They're finding their, their form now. Yep. Um, <clears throat> they've come through a few hard games and they've come out the other side victorious. 
One of the things that impressed was the four dominance, like I said before, but in scrum time as well. So the Reds actually were fantastic with their set play. They won all six of their line of their scrums. They didn't lose a single one. They stole two off the Bulls as well. Yep. So the Bulls only had 50% success on their own scrum, which is pretty poor, actually. South African teams traditionally would pride themselves on their set piece. Um, yeah, this this red scrum at the moment is probably the form pack of Super Rugby, I'd say. They um they haven't really looked challenged by any pack that they've come up against in the last few weeks. And if we only think about, was it last week or two weeks ago, they played the Crusaders? Mm-hmm. So they these young like the front row particularly like Tupo, yep, and Murphy. I don't know. I don't, what do you, what's your thoughts on Alex Murphy? Uh, I don't like his moustache very much. <laughs> it's not a great. It's not a great look. I mean, look, he pulls it off because he's much bigger and stronger than I. So I can't really say much about it. But um, I'm not too sure what to say about him. I don't really have any strong opinions. Because he's, kind of, I guess he's not relatively. He just new. sort of he's playing for him last Yeah, year. he sort of just blends in though. Like he doesn't stand out in a in a he red seems to do pack. The basics relatively well. Like yeah, you're not noticing him for bad reasons. No, that's true. But at the same time, when you we got a reds pack where everyone is excelling, mm. like across the across the board, I yeah. think, and he's not standing out for me. But he's he yeah, as you said, he's doing his basics right. Like he's holding, he's getting that hook in, and he's um throwing the ball. Relatively straight, so... Yeah, I mean, the Reds only lost one line-out on the weekends, so having basically, what was it, like a 91% success yep. rate for your line-out is pretty good. Yeah. Um, and I haven't watched back to see whether or not that was his fault for a poor throw or to support jump or excellent intercept yeah. or something. So, um, he's doing the basics well. I, again, was really impressed with Harry Wilson. He didn't have as strong a game as yeah. he did last week. But he still ran it strongly for that try that I mentioned. Yeah, he's in the carries. He's, minute. He's, he's doing some strong was carries. Very good. He's he's getting on average minimum of six meters per carry, at least in a game on a weekend. So that's really impressive. I really like James O'Connor in ten. Yeah, I really like him because basically he straightens the line, takes the ball to the line, and is willing to either take the tackle. Yeah. Or he's playing it right in the face of the defense, yep. which means that they're not able to commit commit as heavily because they're not exactly sure who the ball's going to go yeah. to. And the Reds are running with such intensity with the support and follow-up lines that really he's got multiple options. Um, he's not obviously as good a, as someone like Quaid Cooper was, mm. but Cooper was a freak at that. Yeah. And you can't expect everybody to show that same level of ability. But uh, another thing that I really like as well is that he's um, he's always moving when he gets the ball. Yeah. So yep. he is he's go he's go for like he carries that line. He brings that back line up with him mm. when he's getting the ball. So it's not it's not stopped and they're not stagnant when they've got that ball, yep. which just allows that extra um, punch into the into the defensive line. You see the word Lolasio as well for the Brumbies. He does a similar thing. Yeah. Where he's always moving when he gets the ball. Yeah. Um, and for the Waratahs, Harrison, look, when he's looking good, it's because he's doing that same thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, we'll get to them later. But now one one yeah. other thing that I um, noticed in this game was particularly like the general field kicking wasn't great no, from the Reds. No, it wasn't. Um, Mornay Stain came on in the <laughs> 55th minute, and that guy is an absolute freak of a kicker. Yep. And he really just, he made the Reds look, like the Reds kicking just look poor. Yeah. There was a number of times where they were kicking, they had penalties and they were kicking for the line 
And in that instance, you need to be hitting that five meters and they were probably seven, eight meters out. So they've just lost three meters. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Stain would kick it from nearly halfway and, and nearly make that that uh, that five meter line as well. Like he he always found touch. He's 35. He is. Yeah. He's 35. What a freaking hero. Yeah. And he's still absolutely killing it. Um, that is a really good point. I think... We were whinging about the kicking last week. Yeah, we were. That was our weekly whinge topic. Yep. And I was really worried because it didn't start well. They brought no. Hegarty into the team as a specialist kicker on the wing. And so, is, that's the other thing I was thinking. Is, he- is Hegarty a winger? Well, no, he's a fullback. Yeah. He doesn't have the pace to wing, which is probably why we kept getting absolutely pumped And they actually life. scored all of their tries down, down his wing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what happens when you move someone who is on the wing, so Chris Feo Asatia. Yep. You move him into 13 to cover yep. Paisami's injury, and then you move a fullback into wing, is that you don't actually have particularly good continuity out wide. You don't have that first-up defense either. Correct, yeah. and you, you, they don't have the combination to trust their inside man. On two of the tries that I watched, um, uh, Hegarty doesn't leave the second... Like, he doesn't trust... Um, Feo Asatia yeah, to take man. the man so he jams in on yep. the second man and leaves Speckman out wide and as Speckman just gets the ball and freaking pumps it or and as a so, sevens player you can't give him any no. space so it's either quick hands to get the ball to Speckman or a cutout pass across the face yep. of Hegarty who's cutting in and then he, he's just got space and yep. used it really really well so I think the Reds still need to be working on it because Whilst the kicking was improved, he missed the first one, got the second, missed the third, and then got a whole bunch more yeah. conversions because the Reds were dominating and got them in easier positions for the kicking. I think that's taken. something that we said as yeah. well in the yeah, we were texting at the time, in the fiftieth minute. I said, yeah. oh, I think the Reds need to start scoring a little bit closer to the, uh, the the goal lines here to make it a bit easier. And next minute, they score straight under the post. So well done. I think you need to make comments like that more often. Yeah, I think we need to. Uh, they were listening to us, obviously. So that's why my wife says that I should keep yelling at the TV. Is that what she says? That's not what my wife says. Oh, okay. Well, let's move on. <laughs> um, so, any other final comments about the Reds Bulls game? Uh, just generally, all all across the board was a good performance by the Reds. They're mm. building well. Um, they should take a lot of confidence out of this win because the Bulls have also done some good things in the last few weeks so it's good to see them continue to build wonderful well now i guess we can move on to the final game of the weekend hooray the final game of the australian conference in the weekend was the brumbies versus the waratahs down at gio stadium in canberra and it ended up with yet another pumping of the Waratahs, 47 to 14. I mean, at this point, we really shouldn't be surprised. No, we shouldn't. Yet again, two weeks in a row, the Waratahs are kept scoreless in the second half. Mitch, what were your impressions? Oh, just, it's just <laughs> like, where do you start, really? Positivity. Positivity. You know what? I, coming into the season, I think I was a bit naive and I thought the Tars would do really well. No, maybe not really well, but I was hopeful. But now the more I think about it, they have had such a disrupted start to the season with all the coaching changes. Mm. They had a really bad transition from last year to this year by losing so many caps. Yeah. And the caps they do have are concentrated on Hooper, um, Simmons, Simmons, and Beal. Beal. Yeah. So they don't have quality experience. Well, you know, we are actually the highest capped Super Rugby team this year. 
we have the most caps of any Super Rugby team playing on a weekly basis amongst three players. Amongst three players. Like, that, the team... Yep. How it's, ridiculous. It's, it's a sad... I, look, it is what it is. Unfortunately, we are the... Um, as a Waratahs fan, we are the subject of poor managerial decisions at the end of last year. Uh, we've got a new coach who's come in and he's inherited this side. Mm. And it is really, they can only do the best of what they can with what they've got. But back to the game, it was the same as last week. Um, good good first half performance. Yeah, Waratahs so. were fairly positive and mm-hmm. were doing some good things in that first half and were staying with the Brumbies. Yep. And then the second half, they just fell away, and it just the the game got away from them again. I think um, we were talking about it before, and one of the things that was I really liked this week was Simmons's efforts. Yeah. So he scored the opening try. Yep. And showed a lot of kind of passion and drive to get through the tackle, reach out, slam it down down with his extendo arms, <laughs> reaching over the line. Um, go go gadget arms. Yeah, and and after he scored that try, I tried to pay more attention to him. Yep. And just watch him a bit more to see what his involvements were. And the thing that I noticed, and maybe I just need to actually watch him deliberately more, particularly if I'm watching a replay, is he is he does a lot of work in the dark areas. Yeah. You don't really watch. That's right. So he'll do a lot of clean out, sort of securing the ball. His line out work is always strong. So I understand why he's been so long-lived and yeah, overlooked. He does a lot of really simple things really well. And you, you just need that. You need a dependable lock who can... Uh, that's the other ball. thing too, is as a lock, that typically is a position that goes un, unanswered or unseen mm. a lot of the time. Mm. Um, if you look back through history, who kind of stands out as an amazing lock who's done crazy things? Johnny Ellis. Apart from Johnny Ellis. I like Justin Harrison because he used to always get really angry and start fights, and I'd hate to have him on the, on the opposition team. Yeah, but I really like that he was an Australian player. Yeah, exactly. But they don't. You don't. Dean watch... Mum. Dean Mum. Yeah. Dean Mum runs the... down the sidelines. <laughs> yeah, like they'll have good carries now and then, but their their biggest impact is in the dark. You don't see it. It's at the bottom of rucks. It's yeah. it's around the pillar post. It's it's in the lineouts. Like. He does. He does do a lot, mm. and unfortunately, it's not a lot that gets shown. Yep. But he, he, I thought he did quite well this game. He was leading from the front. Well, I mean, we can talk up individual players as much as we want, but the reality is, again, the Waratahs got pumped. Yep. Um, I think a lot of that comes down to the forward strength and dominance of the Brumbies. Yep. In general play, maybe not so much in set piece. Um, the Waratahs actually did relatively well in the scrums. They yeah, they their did. Own and really didn't get pushed off the ball. Yeah. Um, but what we really did see was the maybe disorganization of the Waratahs in defense and yeah. just not able to defend against the pace and speed of the Brumbies' backline yep. attack. I think the, the Waratahs don't look like a team that has the ability to adapt to game plans on mm. the fly. So, one thing that I noticed from this game consistently, that the Waratahs' backline was way too flat. Like, they were very... Like, they were up... In attack? In attack. Like, on their ball, they were very flat. Yeah. Which then meant that the Brumbies had a very fast rush defense. Yep. And nine times out of ten, they were getting met at the gain line. Not even at the gain line. Like, they were receiving the ball behind the gain line. Yep. And... 
the first or second receiver was getting tackled mm-hmm. backwards and we were going backwards and they didn't adapt to that. And if in on the other side of that, the Brumbies were running incredibly deep for a back line as well. Yeah, yeah, they were setting up and kind of doing what the Reds, uh, the Bulls were doing at the start of the Reds-Bulls yeah. game where they were setting up really deep but then using that to get space to their pacey runners out wide. Yeah. And... It seems like the Brumbies were happy to play it out the back behind the kind of forward screeners to kind of Will Essio or Ire Simone coming out the back and then to unleash particularly Cutter. He had a fantastic game early on before he got yeah, he's a good finisher. in the middle of the second half. He's yeah, a good finisher. He's a really, really good finisher. Um, so I just think the Brumbies overall, that they are the form team of... They're the most consistent team of the Australian Conference. They are. You could argue that... The Reds have some things over them. I would, but you know you what? Really I would just love have to, to look see? at the conference ladder. You just have to look at the points. Look at the scoreboard and tell me that the Reds are better than the Brumbies. I would love to see the Reds play the Brumbies next week. Yeah, how good would that and be? I think they were scheduled to play. I, I'm not sure too much what the schedule was, but I think I saw something. I haven't paid attention because of everything. Because of what's on. happened, but if the Reds played the Brumbies, I think the Brumbies because it would have been in Brisbane as well. Yeah, I think the Reds could have won it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Well, unfortunately, we won't get to see that anymore. Um, one of the things that happened in the second half was Beal and Carmichael Hunt both got injured within yeah. a couple of minutes of each other. So the Brumbies make a break, a um, couple of offloads on the inside to Joe Powell, who's yep. running a really nice support line, as most scrum halves do these days. Yep. Beal's coming across to try and chase him, and ping, ping. goes the hammy. And he pulled up immediately. Like he yeah. didn't. He didn't try and make a tackle or anything. He just stopped. Yeah, he knew it was gone. Yeah. I mean, 148 games. So equal highest ever. Waratahs player. He may not get another game. Yeah. That may have been it. And so he gets to share the spoils with Benny Robinson, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, which is pretty cool. And yeah, then Tatafu's on on three. He's think. still playing. He could come back. He could <laughs> bring him back. We um, could see that. He's over at Leicester at the moment in Premiership. Yeah. So he's doing nothing at the moment because they're cancelled as well. But um, at the time, and hear me right within this, I like Curtly Beale and I value so much of what he's offered to the Tars and Australian rugby. Yeah. I was not that concerned about his injury because... It meant, in my mind, that we could see Jack Maddox play his natural position at 15. 15. And I was kind of happy about that, because I don't think Maddox is doing particularly well as an out-and-out winger. No. He doesn't, he's not impressing me, and, but he's doing really well when he joins the line late in attack, or when he's doing kick returns. Yeah. So, much like Curly does as well. Yeah. But he's also a bit stronger under the high ball. Okay. In my generalized opinion, not backed up by any stats. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. There was a part of me at the time that goes, that really sucks for Curtly, but at least we get to see Maddox at 15. But at the same time, I think what the Waratahs, and particularly this Waratahs team, is lacking is leadership. And I don't know if Beagle's much of an on-field leader. But he just having him there with the amount of caps that he's got and the amount of experience he has... Yeah, okay. As a as the backline is so young, mm. having Bill there as that calming influence, I, I, it's got to help. Yeah. Um. So without that, I don't know. They when Bill came off, Bill came off in the forty fifth minute, and at that point, um, the Brumbies went into score, and I think that was 
two tries ahead. So the mm-hmm. Waratahs were still potentially in the game at that point. Yep. Um, Bill comes off a few minutes later, as we said, Carmichael comes off and then they just went to pieces. And it sort of turned into a game of touch rugby from then on. Poor things. Poor, poor man. Now, let's talk Harrison versus Lolesio. Yes. So, I actually rate both of them. Yeah. I've been really impressed with the way that Will Harrison has been playing in general. Not everything he does, but most things. Considering how raw he is and how he's playing behind a pack that's basically getting dominated yep. every week. Um, that's no. a much harder prospect than what Alessio has. I don't think uh, out of this game, if we were picking our our Wallabies number 10 out of this game, mm. I would say that both of them came out on par. Yeah. Um, Probably both like a 7? Yeah, 7, 8 maybe. Maybe. Um, Harrison took on the line. He was... Relatively strong in that in that regard, he was his kicking, his place kicking was good. Yeah, um, it was his first kick to convert um, from the sideline. Simmons's try was straight over the black yeah. dot. It was beautiful. Yeah, really nice kicking action. So they're both they're both a fairly strong kicker off the tee. Uh, I I don't I don't really see what splits them at the moment. I'd be happy with either if I was picking a team, either of those players in there. Yeah. It would probably be good to see Will Harrison behind a dominant pack mm. to see if that increases his game and maybe yep. have some stronger ball carries around him. Yep. Uh, but he's he's doing well and so is Lalesio. So yep. I don't see anyone... I don't think particularly that anyone came out in front of the other. Yeah, yeah. Now, talking about individual players, um, Alex Newsom, number 13 for the Waratahs. I was watching him throughout the game because... I and again any comment that I make about a player is never personal because they do things I would never be able to do. But I just I don't rate Newsom particularly highly because I'm just not confident he does anything that makes him stand out. Now with that being said, he's doing the basics well, he makes his tackles, he generally does pretty good runs, doesn't really He doesn't make many line breaks though. No, he doesn't. And when I just think about other 13s in a competition, particularly if we just say Paisami, Hunter Paisami for the Reds um, or Tevita Kurandrani for the Brumbies, those two are known for their hard direct running and the strength they bring, bring into that contact area. And then Kurandrani in particular is really, really good in defence and 13 is such a tough position because you're basically marshalling the entire back line, particularly if you're doing an out and in rush defence. Yep. So I'm I'm just not confident that Newsom is of a kind of high enough quality for the Tars to be really seeing success. Although, although now that I say that, he's never really going to shine when the pack's going backwards. I don't really think that Alex Newsom's uh, a strong 13 anyway. Mm. I would say he's a winger. Yep who's been um, asked to play 13 due to a vacancy in the back line. Like, yep. without, we've got... Um, uh, we've got Lolokai Fakheti, who could replace him, but yep. I also don't think that he's he's putting in enough of an effort to... He replaced Fakheti after the first couple of games of the yeah. season. Fakheti was playing 13. Yeah, Th- Fakheti finished, finished in 13 for us yep. at the end of last year. Mm. Um, and... It must be a an idea of Penny to sort of sw- swap that position around, but I wouldn't say that either of them are doing particularly well. That's probably a position, and those outside backs are probably somewhere we need to get a bit more go forward. Yeah, we need a bigger back runner. Yeah. 
Well, we've managed to basically talk almost entirely about the Waratahs mm. when they just got absolutely pumped by the Brumbies. Um, Brumbies, really worryingly, um, Alan Alatoa went off early in the game with a fractured wrist, it looks like. Or yeah, they've come out and said that it is a broken arm. I didn't see the specifics, but it does look like it was a wrist injury. Yeah, so the, maybe the enforced rest that's going to be coming will be really beneficial, give him time to heal uh, before the competition starts back up, if it does. Um, also, my... I'm jumping on the Ryan Wanigan fan uh, bandwagon <laughs> again. Yeah. But he came on, and I thought it was a real point of difference to Joe Powell. Joe Powell... Yeah, Joe Powell didn't have a great game. Uh, he ran that really good support line um, to get... That try that I mentioned before, I can't remember what minute it was. But 35, I think. Yeah. Or 45. He yeah. just... I'm not sure. He, he seems to pick up the ball and crab a couple of steps. I've mentioned that previously. And he's not a kicker, whereas yep. Lonergan came on and made a couple of really nice kicks again. Yep. And he's probably going to have the highest percentage of kick success in the Australian competition. Yeah, um, I don't know what the stats are looking like. We'll have to check it out for next week because... I mean, we'll need more to talk about. Yeah. um, I was really impressed by him again, but mostly because I think he's awesome. And yeah, I'm I'm a big fan. Yeah, I think the Brumbies overall, uh, their open field playing was, again, pretty strong. They look like they were dominant in the the loose. Their support plays, their lines were brilliant. Mm -hmm. They were making holes through the Waratahs' back line. And they they were composed and they looked like they knew what they wanted to do. The the last play of the game particularly. Oh, how good was that play? <laughs> the Waratahs gave up. Yeah. You reckon? Yeah, the Waratahs were expecting them to take that line out and kick it out. You could tell from the backs, the way that they were positioned. Or do like a crash ball from Kurindrani or something like that. They weren't expecting it to go wide or as wide as it did. Yeah. And he ran through untouched to score. Yeah. So... It was good. Um, unfortunately, we don't get to see the Brumbies roll on from here. Yep. But that's sort of the state of things at the moment. They deserve to be the conference leaders. They deserve to be, I think they were second on the ladder after they got yeah. the bonus points. So. They got a bonus point from this, so that puts them up into second, actually above the Crusaders as well. Yeah, which is awesome. So, which is awesome. Well done, Brumbies. You deserved it. It was hard to watch as a Waratahs fan, but they deserved every single point that they received. And let's move on. Yeah. So this segment is So What Happens Now? And it's basically where where we theorize what could possibly be done to continue to get some of that much, much needed amber and nectar of the gods into our veins, which is rugby union. So, Mitch, what are your thoughts on if in a few weeks um, coronavirus is still a thing, we can't do mass gatherings still... But there is a potential for maybe community sport or training to be yeah. happening. How do you think Rugby Australia or Sanzar maybe could be approaching rugby? Now, I think we need to stick out this 14-day uh, period at the moment that's been put in place, the mm-hmm. sort of quarantine with uh, teams still traveling from overseas. So the Highlanders have just arrived back into New Zealand from Argentina. So they they're have, entering now. They're entering now, so they've lockdown. got two-week quarantine. Sunwolves are still in Australia. Sunwolves, yeah, and we don't know where, how long they'll stay or when they'll go home. So I think we have to st- stick through this first two weeks of no Super Rugby. Mm-hmm. But then after that, I think it would be, I mean, this has been discussed online, but um, an interconference, we could potentially resume Super Rugby, but only playing interconference games. 
Yeah. So okay. games based in Australia, based in New Zealand, or based in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Now, South Africa, um, as of today, hasn't announced any quarantine laws or any um, travel bans or anything. Okay. But uh, the reality is that New Zealand and Australia both have those in place. So what you could actually do is, I mean, just expanding upon that, you could essentially do that interconference idea. So the teams are just playing each other within their own nationalities. And it's kind of lucky the Sunwolves are still on yeah, Australian exactly. soil at the moment. Um, and then even you, after a set number of rounds, even if you wipe the slate clean, yep. you start a mini competition again yeah. for each well, of the Yeah, well, that's another option. And then the top, play, the top team from each conference, because there are three, uh, how'd that work? Maybe you get the top two teams from each conference go into like a little round robin yeah. against each other and then play off in almost like a rugby league or um, like so- a final series. Football final series. Yeah. Not kind of first past the post, but do a final series. That, I mean, that's, that that's, that's an option that would work if the travel restrictions were released. And of course, yeah, you've got to have that. Yeah. So Yeah, I've just gone from a domestic to an international thing, haven't we? Um, but in saying that, there's no reason why we can't have just an Australian-based competition. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, Global Rapid Rugby has been halted as well. Mm-hmm. They fall under the banner of Rugby Australia, so, so that competition is available. Actually, too. We could bring them in and yeah. have uh, bring them back to the Super Rugby <laughs> Can mix. Can you imagine how salty how good all the Western would that Australian be? Uh, fans would be? That would be brilliant <laughs> to see the Waratahs play the Force or the yeah uh, the, the Reds. Like it would it would be awesome. Yeah. So we could. Either start a new competition that's just Australian-based, mm-hmm. uh, including potentially the Sunwolves if they hang around. Um, maybe we could play a, a home and away fixture that's ten weeks. Yeah. Of um. Yeah, that could work. Of competition there, so that could work. But that's in in saying that that's only if they relax the laws that have been put in place, whereby um, m- gatherings of five hundred people. Yeah. I mean, they could also they. That could work if they cl- played behind closed doors as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, what other ideas? That's one, interconference games. What else? Um, well, if Super Rugby continues to stay cancelled, mm-hmm. as, well, as of the news that came out today, um, Club Rugby has also been cancelled. Yeah. If that was to sort of relax and go ahead, Super Rugby uh, Club Rugby started up again, it would be great to see the Super Rugby players back in Clubland. How good would that be? How good would it be to see Michael Hooper running around for Manly? <laughs> that would be pretty great. That would be awesome. And then we could potentially have a longer season of that mm. um, and then play kind of like a finals final series. Who pays his wage? So New South Hooper, Wales. Hooper's running out for Manly. Yep. Do the Waratahs keep paying his wage? Yeah, they'd have to. Well, well, he's already on. He's on the um, Rugby Australia. Contract. Yeah, but he's still getting paid by the Tars, and Rugby Australia is a top up on yeah. top of that. I don't know. Well, shoot, your players technically aren't supposed to be played. Really? Yeah. Actually, that's a really good point. They're amateur, of course. Yeah. Supposedly. That was amateur. a rule. That, that was a rule that came in about three or four years ago, where they scrapped any incentives for players. Yep. So it was all even playing fields. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay, so that's an option as well. Then realistically, do we call off Super Rugby altogether? I'm I'm actually feeling like that's a direction that is probably we're probably going to be heading. Yeah. The Super Rugby for the season is more than likely going to get called off. I don't want it to be that, but it may well go down that path. Yep. Uh, and then lastly is the potential of just holding three or four weeks' time, see what happens, and then resume. 
But if we want to be getting rugby, then really the first idea is probably the strongest. Yeah. The idea of the interconference competition. Now, Dan McKellar did come out today and say that his team was looking to play some football, mm-hmm. play some rugby in this in this period. So even if Super Rugby doesn't officially come back in some, or Super Rugby doesn't come back in some capacity, they said that they'd be interested in just playing the Australian teams in um, sort of warm-up games, essentially, yeah. just to keep the players doing something. Yeah. Um, in the hope that Super Rugby does come back. Yeah. If it's called off indefinitely, then... I know that's another bridge that we cross when we get to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, another whole pod to chat about it then. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I think that's it for the what happens now. I think the interconference games are the most reasonable yep. and probably the most likely. That's the. That's uh, it's what it's what I'd be pushing for. That's what I'd love to see. I'd yep. love to see the the Australian Super Rugby players playing rugby. Mm. Yeah. So we we'll go from there. Let's see what happens. <laughs> Well, thank you for listening to another week of the Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. It was great to have you with us. We'll catch you next week where we'll be talking about our Wallabies team or match day 23 from what we've seen so far in the Super Rugby competition. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for listening. Um, thanks for joining me, Ando. It's great to it's chat with Norman. absolute pleasure. Yeah. Loved it. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you next week. So, um, catch you then. Catch you then. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. You can follow us on social media at the following outlets. Follow our Facebook page at Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. Send us a tweet at at pick underscore drive rugby. Follow our Instagram at pick underscore drive underscore rugby. Or send us an email at pickanddriverugby at gmail.com. We'd love to hear any questions or feedback you may have, so get in touch. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next week.